the Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 110 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, and thank you for taking some time out of your week to spend with us today. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Baseball365Pod. You can follow myself at Justin Hughes 365 and you can also follow Andrew at AMCQ82. If you haven't done so yet, join our Facebook group, Baseball365, where we have over 2,400 members talking about baseball every day. Spring training's going on. We got leagues coming together. All kinds of stuff is going on. Very active group. If you like, if you if baseball's your thing and you like talking about it all the time, there are a lot of other passionate people in that group to talk with at all times. And the best way you can support the show is to go to iTunes by taking a few moments to leave us a five-star rating and writing a nice review for us. It's a good way to help us get our name out there, and we would be very appreciative. And as always, all of these plugs can be found in the show notes. On tonight's episode, Andrew's getting the day off. I don't want to push him too hard in the spring when we have a full 162-game season and hopefully October to prepare for. He's a grizzled veteran at this point and doesn't need the reps. And I'm bringing on two members of my Baseball 365 Auction League that I run each year, and they're going to be discussing auction strategy in general, how this auction went for them and players they seem to be higher or lower on than the field. We really haven't talked auction in hardly at all in the two years of this episode, and I thought it'd be a good time to have a discussion. And neither guest is new to the podcast. Our first guest is Lucas Beery from the Lucas Podcast, who joined us late last season for a Dynasty Mock Draft episode. And then we got Chris Winder, who was just on shortly before Christmas each of the last two years, recapping the Roto Masters Draft and Hold League that he runs. Uh, what I really like about having these two guys on is they seem to have different strategies in this auction, which we will get to. But let's get the guys on. Lucas and Quiz, um, Chris, both of you have been on the show and have listened to the show, so you know the drill. We always start off with an opening question. And my opening question for you guys, it's March. And with March, there's a few things I associate with this month each year. We got spring training for baseball, the NCAA basketball tournament, weather warming up, and Girl Scout cookies. Fellas, which Girl Scout cookie is your favorite? Chris, you go first. Oh, yeah. Thanks again for having me on, Justin. Um, yeah, my favorite Girl Scout cookie is those Samoas. I think they're called different things in different parts of the country, but the coconut ones with the chocolate on top, those are my favorite. And if you ever, if you follow Bat for Crazy Toby over there, he did a, he loves s'mores and he uh, took a, he took two Samoas and the stuff to marshmallow and made that little s'more out of there. That guy's very creative with his mm. s'more recipes. So follow Bat for Bat Flip Crazy for those s'mores and his insights. You know, it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I learned that different parts of the country, those were named differently because those are like caramel delights or whatever. And they're my favorite also. But somebody was telling me they love Samoas and I'm really confused for a little while because I've never heard the term Samoa. But I guess here in the middle of the country, they're caramel delights. Lucas, for starters, do you know them as caramel delights Samoas or you don't have any idea what we're talking about? And then what's your favorite? Yeah, so even though I'm young enough, my, my friends actually still go door to door to sell these. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, I, I know them as uh, I do know them as as caramel delights. I, I 
I noticed them more of the picture though. But I like the thin mints if they're frozen. Those are my favorite way of going about it. My wife would agree with you. She loves thin mints. And mm-hmm. the best part about thin mints for her is she's guaranteed that I won't touch them because I don't like eating anything mint flavored that for pleasure. Like I'll brush my teeth. I'll have a mint with mint, but that's about it. And Mm -hmm. just about any other cookie she she eats at such a slow pace to where she'll eat about two or three cookies in a package. And then complain to me two weeks later when she realizes that the package is gone and she's like, I was going to eat one. I'm like, it's been two weeks, but as compared to with Thin Mints, she can leave that thing in there for six months and I won't touch it. So Thin Mints are her favorite. Do you like the Thin Mints, Chris? Uh, I'll pass on the Thin Mints. I'm kind of like with you. It's, I don't want to eat toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. But I think we're in the minority. I, I, I wonder what the biggest selling one is. I'll have to. I'm sure that research is out there. I need to find that out. On the Google machine. Yes, yeah. get, get on your Google machine and see if you can find out. Um, this year, I did buy a couple. I, I they were on the side of the road at this um, on my way home, and there were a couple people on the road wearing t those T Rex outfits, those gigantic ones that are really stinking funny. So I I stopped and I grabbed a couple of them, and I got my daughter a box of these ones that didn't have much sugar, and I tried a couple new flavors that I'd never had. They had a lemonade flavored cookie. And being a lemonade lover, I thought, okay, I'm not sure about lemonade-flavored dessert, but I'll give it a whirl. wasn't bad. And I bought a s'mores cookie, which was also not bad. Figure, finding ready for your, you, you ready for your top five, Justin? Yes, let's hear them. Yeah, uh, number one, Thin Mints. Okay, not surprised. Number two, Caramel Delights slash Samoas. Yeah, not surprised. Number three, peanut butter patties, the tagalongs. Yeah, that... that peanut butter in the middle and the chocolate over the outside. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Dosi dough or a peanut butter sandwich. Don't even know I what that that's is. A newer, I think that's a newer one. I think it's like a. Um, it describes it as crunchy oatmeal on the outside and creamy peanut butter on the inside. So it's their take on a peanut butter and jelly. Okay. And then a um, the shortbread cookies, you know, the old traditional one. Yep. Yeah. Yep, I think that's what I bought for my daughter, just these small little shortbread cookies. I noticed, like, you could eat four of those and it'd be six grams of sugar. I'm like, okay, that works. There you go. Because we have a three-year-old, and you give her too much sugar, and, yeah, it's... Anybody with small kids, they understand. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's get into talking about the auction, and I thought I'd take a moment and explain how these slow auctions work. Um, Some of you guys maybe have played in faster auctions, or maybe... haven't ever played an auction league and hopefully by having this discussion and in this episode maybe it'll give you some incentive or desire to come try give try a league out because they're the i i honestly believe there's nothing better than auction leagues but um the way a fast auction work works is very similar to how you would think uh how if you've ever gone to any type of auction before a fast auction is pretty similar one player is put up for bid and everybody has their shot at continuing to bid on them. And I think typically the clock, I've done it on ESPN and Yahoo before, and I think the clock keeps resetting to 10 seconds. It starts at like 30 seconds, and every time it gets within 10 seconds, every time the bid's topped, it goes back to 10 seconds, and you're just bidding, 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 into, and really fast you got to make your decisions on if you want to go that extra dollar. But slow auctions are different. 
Um, it, like in our league, for example, there's 15 people in this league, and each player can nom- has two nominations out there at the same time to where there's 30 players up for auction at the exact same time. And those players are put up there for, like in our league, 12 hours. And every time it gets under nine hours, when a new top bid is placed, that clock resets back to nine hours. So players don't typically go off and get drafted till 12 to 24 hours, just depending on how many times a bid is topped. So that's how a slow auction works. It's kind of crazy when you see the board and you see 30 names out there and you kind of just have to pick and choose your battles on which ones you want to go after. All right, now let's get into this auction. And, guys, there are a lot of people who don't play fantasy baseball that do not play in auction leagues. And, Lucas, I'll start with you first. What is it about auction drafts that make it so much fun? Yeah, so with with auction drafts, I completely agree with you. They are the best way uh, to play fantasy baseball. Um, There are so many different strategies you can implement where you'll see – uh, a lot of mid-range spenders where if you want a bunch of fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks just strewn across your roster with very few uh, low caliber players that are one or two dollar guys, you can just go all mid mid game. If you want to go ahead and like like how Chris does, you can load up with multiple first round picks and uh, press your luck trying to find goodness on the waiver wire to uh, replenish those one dollar guys. You can do that as well. Um, and even on the pitching side, if you want to go that granular, you can load up three borderline SP ones, you know, and, and go that way, or you can feel free to add on a DeGrom and a Cole where there's not a chance you would ever do that in a snake. So I like it because you can kind of also figure out what are you good at? Are you good at finding relievers on the waiver wire that become closers? Well, then you don't have to spend as much in the, in the auction. Are you not very good at finding, uh, you know, uh, speed guys or power speed guys well then you can go ahead and you can purchase uh, a jose ramirez or you can go out and get you know a kyle tucker or something like that so you can really just tailor it to what you do well and there's so many choices good stuff chris anything to add there yeah lucas did a great job summarizing all the different strategies i just like it because it's different it's fun it's <laughs> something i've never done in previously and it's just an auction league and you can just kind of you kind of let the you know, the auction take you take you where you want to go. It's not stuck. You're waiting for your pick to come around or the draft. And you kind of get the wherever you, you know, your pick kind of dictates what you can do and can't do. In an auction, you kind of just the whole board is yours. And it's just so fun and just so um, unique. And I enjoy it. So real quick, your first auction was the one that I set up in 2017? Yes. Oh, I did not know that. Lucas, had you done one before this? No, and I think you can tell by looking at my first year's results. <laughs> I need to go back and look then. I don't. I honestly do not remember. I don't want to either. <laughs> I had never done a slow auction until I set this up, but I had done a few fast auctions in previous years. I had fallen in love with the format. Um, the only thing I want to add to what you guys said is the my favorite part about an auction is if you really love a player, whether you're, let's say your favorite player is this mid-range player and you don't want to have to you know, you're worried about getting them more. Let's say you just desperately want to get Ronald Acuna. If you want to get Ronald Acuna in a draft and you draw the 12th pick, you're not getting Ronald Acuna. But that doesn't happen in this draft. I mean, one of our members is a diehard Braves fan, 
And I think this is the third year in a row he's drafted Ronald Acuna. He will not be outspent for Ronald Acuna. And you know what? He can have him every year because it's an auction format. And yes, you may pay a penalty because you may everybody else may know that and you may have to pay a heavy price to get him, but you can have your guys in this league. One, one more thing. I, I, I just wanted to add one more quick thing. The other thing that's so interesting about auctions is that every single auction is entirely different. Even if you were to do it with the same group of guys a few weeks later, if I were to set up an auction for next week, the results would be so drastically different. The level of unpredictability is just crazy. So it just adds another wrinkle to shake the snow globe and see what happens. That's a great point. If you look at the auction results and you think, okay, I can get this player for this price in my draft, you're wrong. I mean, it's just not the way you think. What were you going to say, Chris? Yeah, that's a great point, Lucas. Yeah, I was just going to add, like, I think people get turned off by auctions because it does take a really, really long time if you do those fast fast auctions. Yep. I think I do one, it could be, you know, it could be six to eight hours. But this slow auction, the way it's set up on couch, couch managers, you know, we can get done in like 10 days, seven to 10 days. And it just, you know, it's it's just a great idea. So I highly recommend people just to, you know, next year get into a slow auction. Yes, you can do, you can set them up on couch managers dot com for those of you we haven't really brought up that site much on here you can go do your draft over there and the way i do it is we have our league on fan tracks but if you play on espn or yahoo or any of those others you just make sure just basically make it to where your draft is complete like just complete your draft on espn or yahoo and then just have everybody pick up their own players and that saves the commissioner the hassle of having to add about what is it 15 times 23 about 400 players themselves and on that same note everybody else can just grab their players and then you change the settings once the draft is done um did you guys have a specific plan going into this year uh i guess i should ask uh lucas you first um so not anything that was really that concrete Usually what I do is I just wait and see where the prices start out. And for example, if I see a Ronald Acuna go for 60 bucks or if I see bets go for 55, I'll try to go for another first round player who's a bit cheaper than that just so I can guaranteed get a lot of high impact stats on my roster because I want to have a star, but I don't want to pay the full freight. So that's kind of my plan. I don't even really have a list of values that I go off of. I just kind of go off what I see in the room, shave a little bit of a discount off that, and then pick that player that I like. Okay. What about you, Chris? Yeah, pretty similar to Lucas. I'm nothing concrete. I was this year. I wanted to get on. I wanted to get players early because I think sometimes they go for a bargain. Those high end guys. Yep. So I was like, okay, if I can get someone early in the draft, maybe someone will need to get someone a little bit more expensive later. So, like, you know, those top three aces, if I can get one of those guys, maybe I can get one, the last, the first one for a little cheaper than the last two. So that was really my plan going in to try to, like, get one of these top end couple first-round picks before, you know, the gun, before either one set the marker. Well, Chris, you definitely attacked on day one. You bought Tatis (laughs) Jr. for $50, and in your, like you just said, um, I think if I recall right, Acuna went for over 60 and I can't remember where, oh shoot, I'm blanking on the third guy. It was Acuna, Tatis, and who are the big three that typically going? Why am I blanking? 
Acuna Tatis. Soto went for 51. Yeah. Okay. Betts went for 51. Um, okay. Yeah. So we're talking all so, those. You you got the basically the guy who I think typically goes second or third, and you got him for a ten dollar discount from where Acuna went. Yeah, Acuna. See, we can't really compare Acuna to sixty <laughs> because, like you mentioned earlier, um, Ben Thompson is that Braves fan, um, and that's actually honestly, um, we'll get to the question later about like the best bargain for him. Ronald Acuna is probably the best bargain because he would have went to seventy. Yes. So, like, do we push him <laughs> enough to get? You know, could we? Do we make it harder for him? So we kind of throw out Acuna. He's a he doesn't really count in this draft, but I think Tatis at fifty, um, it makes it's fine. Like, you know, Betts is fifty one, Soto is fifty one. Um, you know, so I think I just I wanted to get someone early. I wanted the power speed option there. You know, Trey Turner went for forty seven, so I spent an extra three bucks on that. And I'm okay with that. It's fine. Yeah, I mean. Tatis and Cole, you could argue, and there are people that would believe that that's the top pitcher and hitter out there in the pool, and you got them both, and that's awesome. Uh, Lucas, meanwhile, you had a quiet day like myself on day one. Your only purchase was Jared Kelnick, which you bought for 13 bucks. But on day two, you did become aggressive, spending 43 on Bieber and 36 on Bryce Harper, 28 on Kyle Tucker, the ones that I noticed. Can't remember. I, I'm not certain on the Kyle Tucker. I can't remember if that was day one or two, but um, I guess you've already explained why you were quiet on day one. And, but you did attack on day two. What were your thoughts on those picks? So I was really, I was really debating on going with Degrom or Cole because I usually go ahead and, and get one of the top, you know, five pitchers in these auctions just to give me a great anchor. Um. I was thinking about busting it up to try to go for two $20 pitchers initially, but I was worried because in redrafts, obviously you guys are seeing the, as Derek Van Riper put it, the yellow brick road where there's all the pitchers priced up in round two and even in early round three at times. Yep. So I was worried that a lot of the pitchers would go for in the mid to high thirties. So I'm thinking to myself, well, why don't I just go ahead and get one of the best of the best pitchers here in Bieber for 43, and then I don't have to worry about it if the SP 5 through 12 are, are pretty overpriced. I'll just get one of the best of the best in Bieber. So looking back, now that you saw how where the, the those second-round pitchers went, which pretty much all of them were about 29 to 33 bucks, just going off of memory, they all seem to be in that range. Would you have done it again or knowing the prices now? Because they were, instead of mid-30s, it was more like 30 or low-30s. I'm, I'm happy with the way I did it, even though it could have worked out the other way. To me, just the certainty of having somebody locked in because obviously you're not going to always find great values. Sometimes you just have to pay mm-hmm. what it costs to get your stats. So as long as he has a great season, it won't really matter that much. Yep. I get it. You get one of those big aces, and there's a lot of reliability in them. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about some specific players on your teams. Uh, we'll start with you, Chris. You took Aaron Otto from the Cardinals for 25 bucks. You know, he's no longer in Colorado, going to go to the Cardinals. What kind of player are you? and statistics are you expecting out of him now that he's no longer in Colorado? Yeah, so going back to the strategy, I guess, with that um... – he was cheaper than the other third basements in that area. And I, I think uh, going into the draft, I really wanted to fill a second base and a third baseman. I think that those positions aren't as deep. I think I changed my mind about third base a little bit deeper than I thought. But um, so I wanted Arenado, and he went the cheapest out of, 
you know, LeMay, Hugh, Rendon, Devers, Bregman. He was at 25. Those other guys were about 27 and 28. So I felt I got a little bit of a discount. Um, the player I'm expecting, you know, similar Aaron Otto. I don't think the, you know, the home runs can be down a little bit, but his average can be down a little bit. But he's also, you know, he's still going to produce the, get those RBIs, middle, middle of the order bat. Um, you know, when you leave Colorado and you keep going on the road, it takes some time to adjust because they see different types of pitching. I know that's been brought up a lot. Um, so I think just being, you know, in a stable environment, not having to go from elevation up and down, it's going to help them. Honestly, I think it's going to help them. And, you know, just being, you know, in front of those amazing fans in St. Louis is just going to, you know, make them the best he can be. <laughs> best fans, not in baseball, but sports, as I like to joke a lot. <laughs> but um, I think that, yeah, I completely agree on the thing. People sometimes with these Rockies players look at their road numbers and there have been some articles written about that this offseason in terms of you see guys going on the road and struggling in Colorado, but they don't talk as much about the struggles that they're going from just pitching in elevation and pitching with different air and then going on the road and hitting with something different, hitting in completely different conditions and how that can affect just trying to adjust. Um, I'm going to throw my projected stat line out. I want you, to, I want to see how far, which whether you take over or under, you think they're pretty close. Like with Arenado, I personally am expecting like a 275 average, 30, 32 home runs, and, you know, probably about 190 to 200 runs plus RBI. Where are you at on those numbers? They look fine to me. I can't argue with any one of those. You know, that's what I have kind of down there, you know, just doing his thing, you know, playing great defense and – you know, getting his numbers because he'll get his. What are your thoughts on Arenado, Lucas? I agree wholeheartedly on that stat line. Um, the only thing that is a slight worry for me is the batting average, given how spacious Coors Field is, but the homers yep. should be solid. Uh, one thing I wanted to add in, very related to the auction. Um, let's say you like a guy like Kyle uh, Corey Seager or you like a guy like Nolan Arenado, but you typically look for those steals early. If you firmly believe they're extremely bankable and reliable, you can just go ahead and buy them up in the auction. That way you don't have to use that high draft capital where you'd usually look for steals in a snake draft and just take that certainty for 25 bucks like Chris did, which I thought was a really good price for Arenado. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, I would say I'm more likely to take a Nolan Arenado in an auction than I would be an actual redraft snake draft where I just, I'm not comfortable taking the guys who don't provide steals in those early rounds. What any Anything to add to that, Chris? No, I'm good. No. Okay. Lucas, we'll move to your team, and you have three of the biggest 2020 breakouts on your squad. Bieber's the headliner, but Kyle Tucker and Zach Plezak sure moved up ranks last year. For you to spend the money you spent on them both, is it safe to assume you're pretty confident in these breakouts are for real? Uh, with Bieber, uh, since he is my, my team's anchor, really, I, I'm extremely confident with him. Uh, even if he does take a bit of a step back, given the fact he won't be playing all central teams, uh, I feel like as long as he can take the ball 30 times this year, I'll be pretty satisfied with him. Uh, going to Plezak, I know he's extremely polarizing to some. Uh, I like the fact that he was able to prioritize the breaking balls a little bit more and, and focus less on the fastball, which obviously is not a great offering for him, given the fact that he's in the Cleveland cocoon. I think that at worst he'll be able to provide a good you know, innings per start number 
and qualify for some wins and, and provide maybe like a 360 to 380 ERA um, on the worst. And, and if he's really great, I mean, you could see the upside could be a low threes uh, with possibly like a 24 to 25% strikeout rate close to like over a K per inning. Um, so those I was pretty comfortable with. Uh, with Tucker, um, I actually, to start the draft season, I hadn't loaded up on him. But actually, I'm in I'm in three drafts at once right now, and I've actually gotten him in every single one of these drafts. Uh, obviously, this is a guy that has extreme pedigree. He was supposed to be a stud, just was kind of blocked for whatever reason by Josh Reddick. Um, <laughs> so I think so. I think if he can play, you know, his 150 games, I think he's got a lot of upside. But even a worst case scenario, if he can give me 2020 and provide 80-80 runs in RBIs and, and a 250-plus batting average, I think I'll be able to survive with that, and he's got upside for a lot more, I think. Who knew that – I think I already made this joke on this podcast in the last month, but who knew that what Kyle Tucker needed to get the final – get this chance was Dusty Baker to come manage the team, just like we all drew it up. <laughs> hey, Chris, yeah. Chris, do you have any thoughts on any of those three, positive or negative? Negative negative's no, more think- fun. Yeah, negatives weren't fun. Uh, police X, the guy I was avoiding at cost. There we go. I That's think, what uh, I wanted Luke, here. But Lucas did a good job. No, but he didn't, you know, he didn't pay what he was going for. You know, the p- pitches around him were going for like 22, 23, and he got him for 19. So he saved a few dollars. He gets someone he likes, and he's taking advantage of it. I just don't, you know, um, just I, his ADP, I'm not buying it. His ADP is coming down a little bit. But, you know, Lucas makes good arguments. You know, it's, it's Cleveland. They... You know, he doesn't throw the fastball. His worst pitch is the fastball, so don't throw it. And it's just an organization that, you know, does that. Other organizations don't. And, you know, you can kind of rely on that. I just – I'm not paying at that cost. I do Probably like – I'm a hitter. I agree. I agree. In, in the snake draft, round four is tough. Round five is borderline. I'm with you, Chris. You know, I'll talk – I did, but really didn't put much in the notes about my draft. I ended up going with – two aces that are both Nats but national pitchers, the Scherzer and Strasburg. And I kind of, I have regrets on him. I don't really regret Strasburg at 22 at all, but Scherzer looking at the beginning of the draft for starters, I wish I had spent a couple more bucks and gotten somebody who I felt a little more confident in. And like one of those, like one of the aces that you landed Chris, but on, I also thought to myself, going in i'm like man part of me kind of wants to take like three twenty dollar pitchers and just spread that out a little bit because one of the issues i've had in this league the last few years is i've always feel like i'm starving for pitching in this in this by the middle of the season and part of it's been because my aces i have not had them work out the last couple years but also i just i think i've had a couple dollar pitchers there at the end and that's really come back and bit me so i thought spreading it out sounds better it unfortunately i ended up getting scherzer and strasburg so i didn't get to go that route but anyways what are you guys thoughts on max and or strasburg then um chris start with you um yeah i own i own both of them in different leagues um you know i'm expecting max to do his thing you know take the ball your fifth day and just you know throw and get as many innings as he can you know, Strasburg coming back from the carpal ton, uh, tunnel syndrome to pitch today. You know, he looked pretty good. Four strikeouts and ending in two thirds. Good. I actually um, haven't looked at, I hadn't heard about that yet. Yeah. Um, well, I, yes, I did. I was waiting for to see how the outcome <laughs> of it. Um, so, yeah, he looked good. And I just, you know, I trust, you know, it's all about, I think a lot of people mentioned, like, you know, what you're getting per start. 
you know, um, the value getting per innings, you know, um, dollar, I forget the actual saying it goes, but how much, what is he getting per inning? You know, and I think Strasburg is elite in that area. So yeah, I, I like both of those. Yeah, you know, I, price is something you're worried about. You know, Max a little bit high, but Strasburg, I thought he has a discount because he's coming back from injury. You know, I don't think you paid as much as you know twenty nine could have gone for. Yeah. yeah, if he was healthy and he didn't have the ankle thing and wasn't having a few issues the last few years, but that's been the thing. He has had some issues the last few years. And Lucas, if I recall, you're not a Max Scherzer fan, typical or right now. Is that correct? <sighs> It's, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's not, it's a very, he's a very difficult player to look at. Uh, I actually had Verlander in a few leagues last year and it definitely gives me the same vibes where he's basically exactly one year younger and the inner injuries just started to kind of come, you know, Scherzer did get scratched from the world series in 2019 and he had a couple of back issues and things. And mm -hmm. if he's on the Hill, he's going to be great. I just it, the fact that you backed him up with another ace is what you need to do with Scherzer. I have him in one league this year, and he's actually my SP two behind uh, Luis Castillo. So something like that, where I'm really shooting for big profit, and I also have a little bit of insurance in front of him. I'm okay with him in that, but uh, he does carry a bit more risk, in my opinion, than the other aces. I did, but I do have him in two leagues. I have this one and another draft and hold that I did a couple months back, and I ended up taking Garrett Cole and Scherzer as my one-two combo in that league, mm. trying to go for that same mindset of getting the going for, shooting for the moon basically with those two. Okay, um, let's see here, Chris. When you go stars and stars star, stars and scrubs like your plan went. How hard is it to show restraint in the middle parts of these auctions when nominations are out there on these middle range players that are going cheaper? I mean, you, you almost have to just ignore it for a bit, don't you? Yeah, it's fresh and you have no money, so you really can't do anything. So, um, you know, and I, I kind of got caught there for a little while. So I wanted the second baseman, you know, like I said, it's a position I kind of worry about. So I have Brandon Lowe for 15 and Maya, Maya, uh, Kenta Maeda for 20. And I was like, oh, shoot. If I get both of them, I'm left with 13 $1 players. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, For out of 23 like, uh -oh. roster spots. Yeah, 23 roster spots. So I was like, uh-oh. So uh, luckily, I guess someone outbid me but, uh, in Kenta Maeda for my buck. So I'm like, okay, I have a little bit of money, money to play with. Um, so, yeah, just something, you know, I, I did it. Um, it goes back to what happened, though, with me, right? So going back to the auction, it's you know, every auction is different. But, like, what I, my strategy is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to price and force. If I see a bargain out there, I'm like, this is too cheap. So what happened to me um, was you uh, Darvish and Luis Castillo were both kind of on the board around the same time when Trevor Bauer went, Lucas Giolito went, Aaron Nola went for about 36. And those guys were sitting around $30, like 30. I'm like, that's too cheap. They should be going for at least 33. And uh, both of them, because I have them kind of near, you know, that back end between rounds one and round two. So I got both of them, one at 33 and the other one at 31. So after it's getting kinda, Garrett it's Cole at 44. After getting, yeah, after getting Garrett Cole at 44. So it kind of, you know, it put me in a situation, but um, I think I made the most of it. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of how it works out. Let's talk about price enforcing. I'll, I'll be honest. I've played in these leagues. I've played in auction leagues. You know, this is the fifth year of this auction, and I've done some auctions before. And I don't think I've ever – at least in the last few years, I don't know if I've ever price enforced unless it was something I was, I was like, I want this player for this money.
because I've I've been scared of something like that happening. Lucas, do you ever see a player and be like, I don't really want him, but that's going too cheap. I've got to drive. I've got to get that bid up. Do you ever do that? I used to do that a lot a couple of years ago. Uh, this year, I really was thinking about how I felt in the moment last year during the draft. And I tell you what, you guys will agree with me. I think you are going to see a lot of values in these drafts. It's just the way it works. You're mm-hmm. going to see guys that are like, oh my gosh, Corbin Burns went for $18. I would have totally done that. Yep. But you know what? There's nothing you can do to stop that. So I don't price enforce at all. I just kind of try to focus on my team and try to improve it because, like I said, these values are inevitable. Like you said, if I'm okay with the guy at the price, I'll put a bid in, but that's about it personally for me. And Chris, in your defense, I say I won't ever do it, but you're saying that you thought these guys were too good of a price, so you're thinking you're getting them at a pretty good price then, right? Yeah, it's not like I didn't like them. Like, it's you, Darvish, and it's Luis Castillo. It's like, hey, I'm getting, like, <laughs> number ones. So I'm fine with it, you know? It's like, okay, it puts me in a little bind. I'm going to be a little weak at hitting. Um, another thing we didn't mention, this is a trading league. So, you know, I have that's a good point. three pitchers I, I can move if I need to. You know, I can move one and get a couple bats if I need, be, need to. But, um, you know, the waiver wires happen. I just know I'm strong up top with pitching. So, uh, yeah, it just kind of worked itself out this way. It wasn't a plan, but those prices were too cheap, in would, my opinion. Would you have done it again knowing you were getting them both? Sure. Yeah, why not? It's nothing. Yeah, I'm okay with it, you know. Um, yeah, I would probably next, you know, we'll get to it a little later, but I think I have kind of an idea what I would do a little differently. But um, I think it's, uh, like Lucas mentioned, there's bargains everywhere. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, you know, you go back and look at it and like, okay, it's fine. But um, yeah, it's okay. I'll go back and do it again. I've never done the Stars and Scrubs draft. I've never once done it in my five years of this auction, previous versions I've done. And I guess I should bring up something. If you're playing in a deeper league, it's easier to spread it out. But if you're playing in a 10 to 12 team auction, that you got to go Stars and Scrubs. You guys would agree with that, correct? Yes. Yeah, you have a lot to play with, and you can, yeah, you have to. To explain why, just in case any of you guys don't understand, the player pool is more shallow to where it's easier to find those values. I mean, you got more people to look at to get at these values. As compared to a deeper league, those dollar players you're filling out with are just not near as good. So that's just my quick explanation for why that is. But, um, yeah, to kind of even add to that, I mean, I've been following very closely the AL labor and the NL labor this weekend, mm-hmm. and you're even seeing some of the stars in that league go for a little bit more just because people want to have that certainty, even though, you know, it's a 12, these are 12 team only leagues where there's 24 catchers started. So it's the absolute dregs of baseball. A lot of players who aren't even on teams sometimes are in starting lineups. So even in those kind of leagues, you're seeing, uh, you know, top studs go because people want to have that certainty of, Hey, I've got some very reliable bankable stuff. And whenever those bidding wars happen, sometimes the prices can get elevated quickly. What were you going to say, Chris? Yeah, I think it's just going back to your point, right? So like a dollar player in our 15 team draft, you know, I got like Brian Reynolds at the end game for a buck. You know, he's a decent outfielder, you know, outfield four or five. But if you have like a 10 team league, your dollar players are going to be something that's giving you, you know, pretty similar stats. You're going to get like, you know, um, probably like even I'm just trying to find 
like a hundred gozer for a buck, you know? So it's kind of those, it just moves everything up. Yes. Yeah. One thing that stood out to me, I've I've been fascinated with the idea of trying the Stars and Scrubs thing. And one of these years, I'm going to do it just to try it. But for those people that, you know, bought some big name stars and then held back and was able to get even like three and five dollar players. I was floored in this draft at some of the values of players that went for three to five dollars or Chris, I'll use your team for an example. Josh Donaldson going for six floored me i got justin turner for 10 bucks in this auction and i thought i'd gotten myself a pretty good price on him josh donaldson went for six and even to more of my surprise kyle seager who i've referred to as the last safe third baseman out in these auctions didn't even get taken to where i just felt like if you are keeping a couple bucks for each of these positions you can really fill up a roster with pretty good players. Even your dollar players, I mean, you've got some solid ones. I really like Adam Eaton, Jock Peterson. Jonathan VR could be a huge guy, huge if he actually pops into some playing time there in New York. But what do you, and what do you, overall, what are your thoughts on your dollar players that you were able to come up with here? Yeah, it was fine. Like, it's just, you know, I kind of looking at what I need, right? So I need more power because I'm really far behind. I think when you do the stars and scrubs approach, I did it kind of backwards. You probably want to load up on hitting and then maybe have more of those other pitch, um, pitchers more for those like one, $2 players. But I did kind of the reverse because I just kind of, I ended up with Darvish and Castillo. So I was like, okay, let's be, you know, um, be smart about it. So I just needed looking for those guys that can go for a couple bucks that, you know, provide power like jock, you know, um, mm-hmm. stability with a little power speed with Eaton. Um, Hanniger, you know, a little upside there. And then, um, you know, just guys like that. Starling Castro, you know, he's going to bat fifth or sixth in a really good lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, get some RBIs there. So, you know, it just kind of works itself out. You find guys, you grab the guys you like, um, and go from there. I want to add one quick thing to what Chris said, because I, I, I'm actually a Stars and Scrubs player. Usually this year was a little different. You know, I love most of these dollar players he has. I mean, really the only one that I have a little bit of questions about with playing time is Sutsugo. Mm-hmm. But it's not like you're going to have to start Yoshi Sutsugo that much. If Chris goes out and he finds somebody solid in reserve round, boom, he can fill him in. He also knows that he needs outfielders in the waiver wire. And I guarantee you he's going to be hitting it hard every single week looking for talent. Yep. So he'll be able to churn and burn. And that is an yeah, unspoken you- part of these auctions. I mean, you – if you go for the well-balanced approach, one of the scary parts of that is you may not be as aggressive on the waiver wire and guys like Chris are getting out, out there picking up players left and right. And they're getting the guys that are making the difference. And I like Yoshi too, because he's third in outfield. So yep. it just yep. gets a need and you get him for a buck. So if you can ever find like those, you know, players you like with multiple position eligibility, um, you know, they're worth a little bit more just because you can have some, if you definitely go the stars and scrubs approach, you know, they're worth a little bit more there. Last thing I wanted to ask you about your team before I move over to Lucas's cheaper players that I really like that you did, and I've done this before in auctions myself, especially when you're looking for cheap closers, you got to look for pe- situations that aren't as sure of a thing. But a good way to cover that is like what you did with the Brave situation. You went with a $9 Will Smith and a $2 Chris Martin, and you're looking pretty likely to have yourself a closer there between the two. Yeah, that's my favorite part of my draft. Um, you know, when I look back, uh, my favorite part of the draft is doing those, that thing. I spent a lot of money early, so I got Will Smith for nine. I'm like, okay, 
I have to throw a player out. As something we didn't talk about, the slow draft. As soon as it's your turn to throw a nomination, you should throw out a nomination, right? Being respectful for the room. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, who can I throw out that I kind of want, but um, I can get, maybe get away for cheap right now. So I threw out Chris Martin, um, another strategy in slow auction. You throw out the bid, it's automatically a dollar. So make sure you go to two if you want him for two. Yep. So, you know, no one's going to go to three for Chris Martin, but someone might beat me for two. Yes. And I wanted him for two. So I made sure as soon as I threw him out there, I changed it to $2 right away to make sure I got Martin for two. To explain, um, to so, explain that, you put a player up and they're immediately put up for a dollar. But on the right, you can whenever you bid on a player, you put what you're willing to go to. So, like, let's say, for example... You like you went fifty dollars for Fernando Tatis Jr. Let's say you immediately put him out there and you put him at fifty dollars. It just it'll start out at a dollar and then the next guy that bids bids twenty four, and they don't know what your top bid is. All they know is you've got him right then for twenty four dollars because you were the first person to have him on there for twenty four, and so on. So it basically until your bid's topped, you're you're what you're getting him for is what the second highest bid went for so that just kind of explains why you put them out there for two dollars that way someone has to go to three dollars before they actually take them off of you yeah definitely so i'd like doing that especially with like you mentioned with closers you know we probably think will smith has a job they brought in a couple lefties in that bullpen but you know it's just getting those two guys and getting for cheap that was my main goal with those guys and the other one, the other close I got was uh, Trevor Rosenthal, so my other favorite part of the draft. And that was, I think people, you know, sometimes people get stuck in ADP, and he's still way down there. Yeah. So I got him for really cheap compared to other closers, and you can start seeing him um, going up and up on draft boards. Um, but um, you know, he's going to be moving up there. So get him now if you're in a draft before his price. If you if people are dropping by ADP, you're getting a bargain right now. I've got a lot of Rosenthal shares everywhere this off season, <laughs> but um. One of the things that surprised me that you guys both probably would agree with compared to previous years, closers went cheaper this year. I was floored at the prices on closers this year. I usually, I usually think like the best closer should be like 20 bucks. It's kind of a simple way to look at it, but I'm like, if I can get a Raldis for 20 bucks, I would do it. And they were cheaper for sure. Yeah, I think a Roldis. I don't remember who got him. Did neither of you got him? I think he was like eighteen dollars. No. He was seventeen. Yeah, I'm looking at right now. So yeah, prices usually goes around twenty. So give people a little context. Haters at twenty one. Hendricks is at eighteen. We don't know when these guys are being thrown out right now. I don't have that data in front of me. But um, you can see that a Roldis dropped down to seventeen, and then Diaz at fifteen. So you can see the big price um, drop off. So I think it's good to grab those. You know. Twelve dollar, you know, ten to fifteen dollar closers are a good value. Yeah, I but took, usually they're pushed up from twelve to seventeen. Set. I took Brad Hand, yeah. and I fully like. I think I put a max bet at twelve or thirteen bucks, and I fully, ex- fully expected, maybe even fifteen. And I think he only got up to thirteen. I just fully expected that to get topped because tip past years Brad Hand goes for fifteen, seventeen dollars, and I'm not talking about Brad Hand of a couple of years ago. I'm saying pitchers like Brad Hand is now still go for 15 to 17. But it was just different this year. Closers were knocked every, out. Every draft's different. Yep. yep. Like we talked about. Okay, Lucas, let's get over to your side. And I want to talk about a couple of your values I really liked on your squad. Uh, Christian Walker, getting him for $2, I thought was fantastic. 
I'm a big Colton Wong fan, so I really like getting him cheap. I mean, $5 is still a pretty good price for him, but I like the I just think he could I think he could be one that booms this year being in Mil, playing in Mil, Milwaukee. And then Michael Pineda for two. I've always been a big fan of him, but you did run into some really bad luck because you wanted your $15 pitcher, your basically your number 3 starter was Framber Valdez. Whenever the injury announcement happened we were still in the auction how far in were we at that point uh i think i didn't have a lot of money left so uh, okay we, we were relatively far so really you couldn't change your strategy much it just is what it was what it was at that point yeah that really just kind of has somewhat changed my reserve round strategy where i'm just i was going to potentially go four hitters three pitchers now I'm looking at uh, maybe even uh, five five pitchers, uh, four and three actually, four pitchers. So just load up an extra one, see what happens. Yeah, yeah, that's just bad luck. That is one of those things that sucks about spring drafts. And whenever you take a guy and then right then they get hurt. Um, let's see here. I guess I'll just ask each of you guys: What are your guys' favorite values you found in the draft? Just what are your favorite picks you made? Uh, Lucas, you start. Yeah, so like I said, with with Bieber, just kind of starting off, like sometimes you just have to pay the full freight and just lock in your stats. So a lot of these players I looked at when I was reviewing my team, I didn't really think the prices were that great. I was just trying to make sure I covered 10 categories the best I could. But um, you kind of hit Christian Walker and Pineda as my two favorite cheap values. But uh, I thought 11 bucks for Dansby Swanson was pretty good. I mm-hmm. think he can potentially do five cats. And like, like Chris mentioned earlier, if a guy does have multiple positions, I add at least a dollar, maybe even two for that. And Max Muncy, I got at 13. Yeah. I was very happy with that one, just to be able to have more choices as the auction went around, being able to slide him in different positions. That's so wonderful to be able to have a guy like that. Because when you, I mean, you basically can throw them in f- six different position spots. You can throw them at first, third, um, second, middle infield, quarter and in, corner infield, and utility. And when injuries happen during the season, those guys are incredibly handy. What about you, Chris? What were your favorite picks? Yeah, we touched upon earlier. Um, just those closers. I think the Will Smith and um, Chris Martin picks were just because where I was at with money. I think I just getting Will Smith and then throwing Martin right after that just to make sure I – save some money and get that closer situation done. Um, so those are my favorite picks, my favorite money values. guess I should load up my team and try to look and see what mine were. Um, looking back, actually my favorite ones were my fourth and fifth outfielders. I didn't go much into my strategy, but I spread my money out. And I've done that every year. I think I've the most I've ever spent in five years of this auction is $32 on one player. It's something like that. I've, I've just... It's hard for me to wrap my head around going into the 40s. I, I like having spread out rosters. And I've never won the league, so maybe that I need to give it and try something different. But I really liked getting Sinzel and Hicks for a combined $12. I just I think both of those guys have big upside this year. And to get those guys, they were two of my favorites. Um, and then at the very that end. Frust- that, that frustrated me. I was, I was furiously going up on you on Hicks and. <laughs> I tell you what, I was like, you know, seven, eight bucks. I was like, ah, probably shouldn't do it, but I was tempted. Yeah, Aaron Hicks, uh, 
you know, that guy's right now, it sounds like he's going to hit third in that Yankees lineup. That's what Girardi's saying. That's what they're doing here in spring training. And Justin, I got five drafts left. Let's, um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yes. Yeah. Go ahead, Justin. Sorry. They got a lot of right-handed bats and he's one of the few that can actually hit from the left side. And yeah, that's just a beautiful spot to be third in that, in that lineup. Moving on. Um, and then Josh Bell was another one. I was really surprised to get him for only $8 after spending, uh, seeing guys like Eric Hosmer, who I absolutely love. I think he went for 12 and I ended up not getting him, but getting Rizzo and Bell for a combined 21, I was really thrilled with. Um, Is there anybody else, anybody you guys regret not going, you that you regret, I should say regret going an extra buck or two on. Is there anybody that's like, yeah, I'd probably take that pick back. Uh, Chris, you first. Yeah, I know you said you wouldn't, you would do it again with the pitchers. Is there anybody you else that you maybe well, was like, eh? Now those those are the regrets though, just because where they were because I got them, I guess. But I'm not regretting who they are. But um, yeah, I would definitely regret going the extra couple bucks on those starters. But I think the prices, you know, were too cheap. And I'm just, you know, it kind of works itself out there. So I'm, I'm okay with that. But, yeah, those are the two, just getting Castillo and you. But, you know, I thought they were still cheaper than what other prices were. Yeah. Lucas? Yeah, this this might sound a little silly to some. And obviously I, I firmly believe in his talent. But I did pay 13 bucks for Jared Kelnick. I'm going to be really excited when I can use him, but seeing the values of other players that went, I mean, Meadows and Conforto went for 16 bucks. If you're telling me I could have just saved, you know, if I could have just saved that money there on Kelnick and just spent three more bucks for those guys, I mean, hindsight's 2020 at this moment, but I don't know. I just feel like for a stash, I probably was just a little too over uh, eager, but Hey, we'll see what happens. Mine's Scherzer. I already mentioned it before. I wish I had held on. Yeah. To, I wish I had not taken Scherzer and either spent a couple more bucks and gone after one of the other arms, uh, like the Darvish or Castillos, or just let that one go and buy three $20 pitchers. Honestly, I think I'd rather have done that than spent the couple extra bucks. Hey, to give Lucas credit, though, that was before Kellenick's little injury. Um, yes. And also, it goes back to, like, we didn't really touch upon strategies who you throw out there. You know, and it's you can go on a whole podcast for like three hours about that. But um, yeah, you know, throwing players that kind of are hyped at that time can get that money going. So you know, Lucas regrets it, but he was happy at the time. And you know, it's not <laughs> if, you know, if Kelnick comes up in you know middle of April, like everyone anticipated there, or some people were predicting he would start the year because of those comments. So you know, you just throw guys. You just to be smart about who you're throwing out there. You know, it's, you just kind of mix it up and, you know, but I think someone threw out Kelnick and he's a hype guy and, you know, people were bidding him up. We were saying it was an, it was an emotional decision to go after him. I was just like, Oh gosh, I've got to get this guy. That usually never ends well, but (laughs) you know, that's part of the interesting part and how you guys said earlier, no draft is the same. uh, No auctions, the same when they're thrown out there makes a big difference in when they're, how much they go for. And like a Jared Kelnick or I'll, I'll use the, I use the Josh Bell example during the auction. He went for $8 to me. If he was thrown out there on day one, he probably goes for $15, but that's because people have more money to spend at that point. While if you have a guy getting thrown out there later, like Carlos Santana, Lucas, you took him and you got him for $2. If he was put out there on day one, I bet he probably goes for four to $6. 
It's just well, that goes back to CJ Cron went for five on day one. Yes. You know, someone's trying to be smart. You know, someone's like, I'm going to throw him out because he got hyped, right? He just signed in Colorado. But looking back, that price was, eh, it wasn't that, you know, in the beginning, it was like, oh, five. I'm like, oh, that's okay. But when you're getting Carlos Santana for two, you're getting a Miguel Sano for two, you're getting a Walker for two, you know, that person spent the extra three bucks to get CJ Cron because they got thrown out so early. Bingo. Yeah. Uh, is there anybody you wish you had went an extra buck or two on but didn't? The, the one guy in the moment that I should have gone for, because I saw, I did see a report from Craig Mish that Anthony Bass is going to start out as the closer. He only went for two bucks. Wow. I seriously should have done three on that. And I've got a few more. Um, Eloy at 23. That was just highway robbery. You remember who got him? Kang. Kang Kando. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good price there. Chris, did you have I any? Gotta... Um, no, but some of my favorite buys were like um, Bellinger went for 30 early in the draft. I think that was a good price. Yes. Um, I think people are still worried about his shoulder, but comparing when he got thrown out, he got thrown out early, and you got to compare it to other guys in his you know ADP range. And Freeman went for 38. You know, Albies went for 31. And it's like, Bryce that Harper was a really 36. good price. Same pretty yeah, much that's a really, same guy. Yeah. I should say yeah, same really ADP. Good, yeah, really good price on Bellinger. I mean, that was early too. So it's like, wow, that's um, a good price. You know, he wasn't thrown out late. Another one I liked is Alex Kurloff at five. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it, was, it wasn't that late in the draft. It was kind of in the mid. And I think that's the guy, you know, extra buck on him, but a good price. So. Sorry, Lucas. Kirilov or Skelnick. I'd rather go Kirilov or five. I would too. <laughs> <laughs> it was just too much, too too much excitement to start the draft. But hey, it is what it is. Okay. Um, just closing here. What anybody else on your teams that we have not talked about that you'd like to discuss? Not my team per se, but I do want to touch upon, I think, a strategy that I'm just seeing and things I'm kind of regretting and going back in there. I think there's really good pitching value. And I think that's, um, eight to 10 player pitchers is where you kind of want to focus on. And those are the pitchers that are going like, you know, in the eighth through the 11th round. But I think there's those are the guys that um, looking back, I wish I, you know, didn't get a Castillo and got three of those guys. For example, they're like Sixto, Corbin, Gosman, Pablo Lopez. Bundy, Urias, Al- Alcantara, Soroka. So that's those are really good names. And if you can scoop up like three of those, that was, that's a really good, you know, two, three, four, five. I did do that with my back three because, again, I have been short pitching the last few years, and I spent five I spent five on Maley, four on Heaney, and eight on Stroman because I really wanted to just back out my rotation be able to fill it out with arms, especially because Scherzer and Strasburg were my top two. And, there are no sure things for health, not that any pitcher is. But what was annoying for me personally, there were a couple guys that had a lot of money left. And I kept trying to get like the – I remember Charlie Morton and Frankie Montas were two. Montas, I think I was within 20 minutes of getting. And then Walter popped in and outbid me, and I we fought over him for another probably 24 hours. I just kept <laughs> topping the bid. And he wasn't going to be outbid because he had so much money left. And um, that's that's the dangerous part is you can fall in love with guys and all of a sudden next thing you know you're overspending if you leave too much money out there if you have too much money left, so it's kind of a balance you got to have with that. But yeah, there are some real good values to be had. Pitching, 
that pitching was still at least getting knocked up a few more bucks than the hitters were. I think the hitters are where the serious discounts were late. Yeah. What about you, Lucas? Anything uh, else to add? Um, one more thing I wanted to add. Uh, I think you guys probably will agree with this, but um, it seems like in a slow in a slow auction where people have so much time to look at their value system, to look at um, other other uh, pieces of data, it seems like there's less mistakes than in a fast draft. Yes, I look at some of the experts' fast drafts, and it's like, holy smokes, Gio Urshela and AL Labor went for fifteen dollars. <laughs> I thought he was twenty five bucks. You know what I mean? So like, it seems like in the fast drafts, there's just it's just a split second decision versus taking 12 hours to make your mind up. It seems like in the slow auctions, there's just not many things that seem off. That is a good point. And you know, me personally, I always have the auction calculator with fan graphs open and I'm not, I don't use it as my Bible, but I do use it as a, okay, maybe if I, if I look at their projected stats and I think that that's pretty close to what I think they are, then I try not to get crazy with my bidding sometimes. And there's sometimes you look at them and, you'll see a projected stat and you'll see what their dollars earned. And it's a lot less than you would think you'd be willing to go. Do you, do we, do you get, so you guys both have something up like that, either fan graphs or something else when you do these, or do you kind of just go off of your own feel? I, I use oh. the auction calculator for a cliff. Like if I'm like, Oh, there, I have a no second baseman and there's, you know, three teams that need a second baseman, but there's only two good ones left. I kind of use the position uh, chart to see how many people need th- need guys, That's and good. then I'll like I'll be like, oh, there's only a couple of, you know, five six dollars a second baseman. I don't want to go with the zero dollar projected guys. I kind of just use it as like a cliff thing. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I don't. I just have the ADP kind of up where guys are kind of going for NFBC. Yeah, because this is a standard league, and then I kind of look at prices that were in the draft. In the beginning, that's why I kind of go on that stars and scrubs approach just because I'm I'm spending all my money early because I'm just thinking that this guy is too good of a cost. You're getting and, you the know, stats. I'm, You're getting the guys yeah. and just like, I want to get these big category studs and I'll fill out yeah. fill it all out. All right, uh, fill in the blank. Chris, I'll have you go first. I can win this league if blank. I trade you or Castillo or Cole for a bat, I guess. I get those stats early in April, May from those three, and I probably, you know, trade for what I need. You know, if I need a little more speed, I trade for some speed. Um, but I can, I think I can be competitive with these, with my team, how it's made up right now. But I probably won't be able to win it without making a trade or getting lucky, I should say. So I'm going to have to make some deals. I'm probably going to be, you know, around May, seeing what categories I really need help in and starting to look for a team that needs starting pitching. And that's the beauty. There's always teams looking for starting pitching. So that's an easy thing to trade. Lucas? Um, I need to find some breakouts on the pitching side. Uh, I've got a couple of anchors with Bieber and Plezak. And then I took a lot of kind of dart tosses on other guys. And I I need to find some difference makers to help out uh, the Valdez injury. And also just give me some upside since I'm pretty top heavy on my pitching. Mine would be Scherzer and Strasburg. I need to get three to four hundred. I need to get three hundred to three hundred fifty innings out of them minimum. I got to get that, or I, I could be in trouble. Which I think that basically goes to any team. If you lose your aces, you're probably in big trouble. Uh, 
opposite question here, Chris. I will finish near the bottom of the standings if blank. Well, I lose an arm. Um, or just, you know, I think as my team is right here, I can definitely finish in the bottom. Probably not because my pitching's so valuable. My pitching's so good. But, yeah. if, you know, if I lose somebody, I can finish in the bottom. If things don't, you know, if I lose Castillo or you or um, Cole, I can get in trouble there. But right now, I won't finish in the bottom. There's no way. My pitching's too damn good. <laughs> there you go. There's confidence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lucas? Um, if, if I lose Bieber is obviously my my anchor, I'm going to be in some serious trouble. Uh, also, I went kind of with the four, four-headed thing of, of Devers, Tucker, uh, and Harper, as well as Bieber. So if I lose like two or three of those guys, I mean, no matter how many little breakouts I find, you can't replace those anchors. You just can't. True. Mine, I got a couple. Strasburg and Scherzer don't rebound. Um, my second one would be I bought Altuve and J.D. Martinez for $34 between the two of them. I think I, I was really happy with, especially the Martinez price. Altuve, I may have gone an extra buck or two more than I should have. But um, if they don't rebound, if their downfall last year continues and Justin Turner maybe gets old too and all of a sudden my old players are not rebounding. And then Andreas Jimenez, I spent 10 on him. That's a probably a pick I regret. Looking back, I didn't realize until talking with Chris over the weekend that he's more playing with the B squad with the Indians right now. And if he doesn't get up soon I and producing, and I took Elvis Andrews in the reserve rounds trying to get somebody uh, like a comparable player to at least fill mm-hmm. some stats for a few for a month or two just in case if that's true. I need him to get up or Elvis Andrews to rebound or I could be in big trouble on the speed end. Well, the good thing—the good thing about Jimenez is that you will know when to use him if he yes. starts out in the minors and then gets called up. Kind of like that's kind of like your Kellenic. Yep, that's a good point. Um. Okay. Well, that's a. I think that's where we'll finish this up on the auction part. I hope again that all of you guys enjoyed listening to this. This is a little different than what. Oh, I got my favorite team. I got my favorite team, Justin. I can't leave that out, right? Oh, Last okay. Last time I was on. Last time I was on, all three of us picked Lucas's team. So I was like, there's no way Lucas has the best team. <laughs> no, no, So I didn't no. even look at his team. I didn't even look at his team. I'm like, I'm not picking Lucas. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but I'm going to throw out um, one of the admins in our group, uh, Cam Doe. He had a great team. Um, just looking at it, um, I think just it's getting that top-heavy bats that I really liked. He has Yelich, Eloy. Um, you know, just getting spending up on that. And then he got some – or Conforter as well. So getting those top-heavy bats, I think, in the beginning, but not overpaying for them. You know, Elo is a great value. We mentioned Conforto. And then he has some upside with um, Andrew Vaughn. But his pitching, he didn't overdo it. You know, he got those – he got Bueller and Glass now, but he didn't overextend himself. And he has, you know, some really cheap arms that I like as well. So that's my favorite team. He's going to have to hit and, on some of those. He needs Sims to get that closers gig. He needs – puck to be healthy or but the thing about can is he's always really good at finding guys on the wire too so that's he's always gone a stars and scrubs way of doing it and he's been really good at finding guys on the wire but it's more balanced than mine because he has a little bit more hitting you know maybe i have more pitching versus that but i think i definitely like what he did i think it's really balanced and um don't because i see say you're leaving an auction you're leaving the auction talk a little bit don't do what Matt Myers did. Um, oh, sorry, yeah, Matt, this is a good point. 
He left $21 on the table. Um, spend your money because, you know, just an extra whatever. I know sometimes it's early, but just you got to realize you got to spend your money, um, whatever that means, and during, you know, the end of the draft. Top these guys up, make them, you know, get the guys you really want. Yeah, you got to look at it this way. I mean, you got to have a plan for with your money. You can leave money at the, you can leave a couple bucks at the end and that's okay. You can have a plan to spread it out. But if you're going to spread it out, you don't want to hold on your money too long. And the next thing you know, you're overspending on guys, which means you're losing all the discounts that you had or you're leaving money on the table. $21 plus he, he left out there and he bought Margot for $2. So that's $23 that he could have bought for another Georgia Springer that he bought for 23 bucks. And yeah. that's the way you look at it. Instead, you got Margot when you could have had, well, Eloy Jimenez, didn't we say he went for 23 24 could have had yeah. Eloy instead. Yeah. So, yes, that's a real good point. And some people like to track, you know, auctions and what other people are doing. I think it's a great strategy. Um, so I've done it in the past a little bit, but just keep an eye on the money. Like I mentioned earlier, if um, they let me, if someone, whoever outbid me on Kenta and Maeda, if they let me have them, if they let me, you know, have them, mm-hmm. I could have had 13 $1 players. Instead, I only ended up with um, one, like five or six. That makes a big difference. Um, put, you know, you're competing against 14 other people. Make them, make it hurt for someone else if they're doing, yes. if they're being crazy. Pay attention to what your other, especially late in the draft, but really at any point, pay attention to what the other guy you're competing with and bids it where they're at with money. If you notice that they've got a ton of money left and there's no way you can outspend them on this player, and don't put yourself in a position where you're bidding so much you're going to cripple the rest because to get that one player. They may realize it and stop on you. But on the same note, you can do you can also let somebody have a player and realize that you're not going to have to worry about them again this draft and you're competing against only a select number. I did that in my I did a dynasty startup auction four five years ago. I look, Chris, I told you the story this weekend, but I I was going with the youngsters and spending on a lot of prospects, and so was one this one other owner, and we kind of kept overbidding each other on these players, and I outbid him on a couple players in the mid to late part of the auction, and I guess he got frustrated and went out and outbid me on every single player I had out there on the board. Andy already had some on his own and I looked and I realized that if I left this guy alone he would not have been able to make another bid over five dollars the rest of the auction and we still had 20 players to go in this 50-man roster so I let it go I, I I was like I realized it I let it go he messaged me a half hour later saying hey man you can have anybody you want and I'm like yeah I'm good and he's like well I just screwed up my draft then <laughs> wow that is some uh that is just thinking about the game beyond the game right there that's good stuff yes all right lucas i i did chris just gave some teams he liked was there anybody you wanted to add besides your own yeah this this league i feel like i was going through each of the rosters and it seems like there's a lot of really really strong teams um it's going to come down to who can stay the healthiest obviously luck based who can kind of find some breakouts and who can really manage their rosters. They're getting as many full-time at-bats and, and innings. But a couple of teams I wanted to hit up, um, kind of like how Todd Zola talks about with bully hitting and, and manage the pitching. I thought Jeremy Gibbs did a really good job because his offense is absolutely beyond loaded. 
most of the offensive players he has goes in like round five to six or earlier Mm -hmm. uh, outside of Solaire and Stanton. So he was able to get, you know, 40 plus homer guys there. And on the pitching, if, if Ryu and Maeda can provide, you know, 25 starts a piece and he can find a couple of breakouts and just make sure his ratios are intact, he could be in in good shape. And I thought uh, Derek Ambrose had a, a really good balanced team. He didn't spend a whole lot on any one of his players, but I think, uh, what I try to do is I try to make sure I'm getting enough steals and, and getting enough saves as well as uh, some staff aces. And I think he's basically gotten himself covered uh, everywhere. So I like both of those teams as well as a lot of others. Ambrose, I don't know if you guys check the Roto-Wire. If you don't have a Roto-Wire subscription, I highly recommend it. You can pull up – you can actually load your, load your leagues in there and you can see projected winners. And Ambrose is our projected winner right now. At, at He was in the, in the number one slot. You guys know who was number 15? Me? Me. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of liked my team when I finished. And I was like, okay, I kinda, I like where this team is at. And then I looked at that and I was like, well, I guess Roto World doesn't like it as much as I do. <laughs> oh, well. All right. Um, I'm, I got one final question for you guys because I was wondering this as I was making these notes. Which of you two is in more leagues? Because you're both in, like, I think 27 leagues, 28 leagues each. Um, Lucas, how many leagues are you in? Well, let's, let's guess, Justin. Who do you think is in more leagues, Lucas or I? Lucas is an expert, though. He's, he's like Mr. TGFBI. Oh. He's got his own podcast. He's in <laughs> Glarf. He's pretty famous, man. I feel, yeah. I think it's close. I'm going to say Lucas, but I'm going to say it's within one or two. Lucas, right. how many how many, how many got Lucas? So if we're going to include draft and hold as yep. a full league, um, not a half league, nope. like some of us may do to our wives to keep it tamped down, or yes. at least the perception. <laughs> Uh, it's I all right, Lucas. She's only going to listen to the first five minutes, so don't worry about it. Yeah, you can. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm in 18 leagues at the oh moment. Oh my and I gosh. Might... <laughs> yeah, I, that would make Justin Mason <laughs> blush. Wow. And now I've got to go find our buddy Kando, who I always make fun of for having <laughs> being in too many leagues. Because you might have him beat. He's the new can. Yeah, um, Chris. I'm going to say that it's not as close as I was originally thinking. You're not in 18 leagues, right? No, no, no. I'm in. I'm over ten though, but I'm in twelve. Twelve. But um, four of them are four of them are draft and holds, and then one I did include the home run derby league, that which I, another another um. That's a great format. Your uh, co-host Andrew puts that together for us. That's fun, man. So just you know, be creative if you want to go like uh, you know, most strikeout league or you know, we do a home run derby league. So whoever has the most home runs, you just draft ten, 15 rounds. And, you know, we have 10 starters, and every week we set our lineup. And, you know, whoever has the most home runs wins the league. There you go. Yep, there's a bunch yeah. of different formats. And hopefully some of you guys listening give, a, give an auction and try this next year. Um, I know we, after ours finished, uh, our buddy Josh Coleman ended up setting up another one. That was pretty similar to our league. Are, are either of you in that? I'm not. No. Okay. No, I'm not either. I got one auction league um, starts next week. Slow auction just because of this COVID thing, and yes. uh, it's the homekeeper league with Ken. Ken, uh, yes. Ken and I don't live too far away, so he he set up. It's probably my favorite format because it's a keeper auction league. So um, he has a great. He sets it up wonderfully, and um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. I, I will add. I will add one more comment. Uh, giving him another shout out, Jeremy Gibbs. He actually has a total of uh, 35 leagues, 12 on fan what? tracks. 
six on NFBC, three on ESPN, four on Yahoo, and ten best balls. <laughs> well, ten best balls, so you're thinking 25 leagues, which is still true. It's up true. There. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm going to have to <laughs> reach out to him and have an intervention. That <laughs> you know, yeah, you should call him up, have him on the podcast on Sunday. He can talk about his fab strategy. Oh my word, that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> wow, my mind is blown. I just don't know how how I don't know how, but you know well, what? Justin, Every... you're in you're in the most leagues you're in this year. How many you got? I'm in 8, and this is by far the most. 4 of them are draft and holds, and only 2 of them are weekly fab leagues. And that's how I keep okay. my sanity. I, especially with a three-year-old right now, I lose my mind if I have a lot of fab to worry about on Sunday nights. It's just it stresses me out. So I'm actually in fewer fab leagues than I was at this time last year. But I did. I'm in two daily fab leagues, but those, for whatever reason, don't stress me out as much. And because um, I can pick up guys whenever, as compared to having to make sure I get my bids in on Sunday night. Because if I don't, then I'm out on players that could for an entire week that's interesting you so you find those daily transaction leagues less work than those sunday fab days that's yeah i never thought about that it's i know that's backwards from the way people think but yes i've fallen in love with the daily format i don't think i'd want all my leagues to be daily but i do love daily format leagues especially with daily fab i don't want to ever play in a league with first come first serve type things for pickups but i do like the daily fab thing all right, we got to get out of here. I think we've uh, we're up a little almost we're approaching an hour and a half here. But guys, I really appreciate you both getting on. Lucas, you've got a podcast. I want to give you at least a quick chant, quick moment to plug your podcast here. Yeah, uh, feel free to check out over at uh, Sports Crew Radio, uh, Lucas Baseball. Uh, my partner Lou Landers and I, we during the season we record a little bit more. In the off season, we've done like eight or nine. Uh, podcasts so maybe close to every two weeks but we ha- we actually have a lot of shows that you can kind of go back to and listen to from NFBC strategy as far as KDS to uh, different kind of targets and busts so yeah feel free to check out some of those shows a lot of them are still evergreen there you go Chris do you have anything you want to plug just uh, baseball 365 Facebook page that's pretty much it um, I you can find <laughs> me over there too and um, told you Lucas is famous. He's a famous guy. So yeah. Um, yeah, but this is, thanks for again for having me on. This is my mom's favorite podcast. So I appreciate it because, uh, <laughs> and you get me, I told you guys jokingly, I have to get a microphone now because, uh, I'm on twice a year. It's, it's making my day. Yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. We'll try to do this, at least have an auction episode each year and then give Andrew a break. And Andrew and I should be back in the next few days. Hopefully we're going to be talking about we got relievers, catchers. we got a few more position rankings to get through before we get into the season. So we'll be back in a few days. Until then, take care, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, We would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. And once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. 